This morning we're taking a, a one-off. Uh, we've just come through a series on Psalms, the God of Refuge. Next week we're going to be beginning uh, a series on 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Um, today we're going to be in, in Luke 24, so um, you can uh, turn there in, in your Bibles um, and page 1061. We're going to read it in a moment. Um, but before we do, uh, let me start with a maybe potentially controversial question. Um, how many pairs of shoes should you own for day-to-day life? I know, we cover the big topics here on a Sunday morning. How many pairs of shoes should you own? For the, so I'm talking general day-to-day life, not for kind of task-specific shoes. Um, okay, any, any starters? Three, one, four, ten... 12. Okay, just out of interest, who thinks um, the right number of shoes is more than three? Okay, um, keep your hands up if you think more than five. Okay, more than ten. Okay, for the good of everyone else here, I'm not going to go any higher than ten, because I don't think that would be wise to go um, any higher. Well, if you asked me this question in my early 20s, I would have confidently said one pair of shoes. I think, Lou, we are in agreement on that. You have one pair of solid trainers, and it covers you for every situation that you find yourself in. And then what you do, when that pair of trainers dies, then you get a new pair of trainers which were exactly the same as the one before. Um, and you see this, don't you, with... Um, where people like Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs, they wear exactly the same thing each day. And they say it's because then you have, your mind is more free to make big decisions. You're not worrying about what to wear, what shoes to wear. Um, I did it not for that reason. It's because I had complete lack of fashion sense or an understanding that certain colors or styles would go with certain things. To be honest, I'm still on that journey. Vicky's helping me every time I get... <laughs> A new item of clothing, we go through my wardrobe and say, you can wear it with this and you can't wear it with that, and similarly with shoes. So I'm on the journey, um, but we've seen already in the room, if you want shoe advice, we know who to go to. But I wonder if you could choose one pair of shoes for the Christian life, what pair of shoes would it be? You might think running shoes so that we can run the race that is set out for us. So it could be climbing shoes so we can climb the mountain of God and encounter him. It might be sandals, the footwear most mentioned in scripture, Um, or it might be formal shoes for bringing our best before God. But what I'd say this morning, the option I'd go for would be walking shoes. I think that would be a good pair of shoes for the Christian life. Because a while back, I I did a study of the word walk in the Bible, and I was stunned at how many times this word is used in Scripture. Right at the very beginning, in, in Genesis, we see God walking with his people in the garden of the, in the cool of the day, a picture of enjoying close relationship. And then later in Genesis, Genesis 5, a summary of Enoch's life, which says he walked faithfully with God. And then moving on, we see Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Then Micah 6, verse 8, what does the law require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
And then into the New Testament, Ephesians 5, verse 2 says, walk in love. And what I want us to see this morning, that there is real richness in this idea of walking. It speaks of relationship. It speaks of faithfulness. It speaks of perseverance and progress in times of trials. Mark Buchanan has, in fact, written a whole book on the idea of walking with God. And he says, walking is the primary way of knowing God. In the Gospels, we see Jesus coming alongside people on foot and inviting them to come, follow me, walk with me. It's a real powerful metaphor. But actually, I think walking with God is is more than a metaphor. For me personally, the times where I tend to encounter God The closest is when I'm out walking and praying, often in creation, enjoying his goodness around me. Those are the times where I really know his presence with me. There's an invitation for us to walk with him and hear his voice. So this morning, we're looking at Luke chapter 24 and God's desire to walk with us. If you turn to page um, 1061... Uh, Vicky's going to read in just a minute. Um, But there is an invitation to us this morning. And we need to consider how will we respond. God wants us to know this closeness with him, this experience of him being alongside us. But we do need to choose, are we going to lean in or are we going to lean away? We're going to be journeying alongside two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And just a few days previously, Jesus was the center of hope for many. People were wondering, could he be the Messiah? But this revolution, like many before it, has seemingly come to nothing with the crucifixion of Jesus. These two travelers are now going home. They're downcast, disheartened. Their hopes are dashed. And so they're walking the seven miles from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus. They were walking at we assume a standard speed of around three miles an hour. So we'd have had just over a couple of hours on the road, giving them time to talk, time to think, and time to have their world turned upside down by an unexpected fellow traveler who walks alongside with them. Let's read Luke 24. Vicky's going to come and read it from us, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, 
How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Brilliant, thanks. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the power of your word. And we ask here today that our hearts will be open to hear what you would say and that we would respond full of faith and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at this remarkable story and we're going to take some time to consider the power of walking and the startling truth that God wants to walk with us. And we're going to take each part of that phrase in turn and unpack it and see what God might say to us today. And you might be here in this place wondering, do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want to walk in the way that he leads? Or you may be here and you may be walking through hard times and wondering, how can I carry on? And what difference can God make to me and to my life today? Well, we're going to look at this first part of the phrase first, because what helps us is knowing who it is that invites us to walk with him. We're going to look at the God who wants to walk with us. Now, part of the interest of this story of uh, the road to Emmaus is that we know something that these two travelers don't. We know that it's Jesus who is walking with them. They are blissfully unaware as they pour out their hearts of who it is that is walking alongside them. And so they speak their hurts, their frustrations, oblivious to this is Jesus who is there. Because knowing who is walking with us is vital. Um, recently, I've taken our 12-year-old Joel to a few Bournemouth games, and afterwards, he's enjoyed going uh, to get autographs um, uh, at the end, where the players come out. And part of the challenge is identifying who is a player and who is just looking a little bit sporty. Um, some of them I've got, so I've got a picture, see if anyone, anyone know who that is? Solanke, yes, very good. Yeah, the one facing us. That's Joel with his back to us. I wouldn't give you any points for identifying him. Um, but that is Solanke, very good. Um, can take his, his picture down now. Um, so I can identify Solanke. I can identify Neto and Billing. But others, I'm not so sure. And so before you ask, I'd like to have your autograph, you need to know who it is. And so for us, we need to know who it is we are seeking to be alongside. Who is this God who wants to walk with us? Firstly, I want us to see that this is the God who knows your story. The God, that God is the one who meets us exactly where we are. 
He doesn't require us to go through theological training or a screening process. If you're seeking to know Jesus here today, it's important for you to know. It's also important for those of us who've walked with Jesus for for many years, because it's easy to forget that God meets us exactly where we are. God is the one who knows our story and accepts us. The travelers didn't know it was Jesus, and so we hear their unvarnished thoughts. We don't need to put on a brave face or hide our feelings because God already knows our story. They were downcast. We read it in verse 21. Notice the the use of their past tense. We had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. And now they're wondering, how can a dead Messiah be any kind of Messiah at all? How can he lead a political or spiritual revolution? They were crushed. Everything that they believed in had proved to be false. And we can be the same. We can say we had hoped that this job role would come through. We had hoped that those test results would come back clear. We had hoped that we would not still be dealing with this same messy situation week after week, month after month. Notice that Jesus positioned himself to join them on the road and walked with them in their pain and their confusion. The commentator R. Ken Hughes says of this, Jesus saw their pain and knew not only their geographical location, but the terrain of their souls. He knew not only their geographical location, but the terrain of their souls. We have a God who knows our story, and he positions himself to walk alongside us. God does not avoid us or reject us. God not only knows our story, but also he knows the bigger picture as well. Because these two travelers have communicated the gospel story to Jesus, but in their despondency, they just don't realize it. Notice from uh, verse 19, um, they said, how do you not know, to Jesus, how do you not know the things that have happened? And then Jesus says, verse 19, what things? And then they list out a number of things. Notice what they say. They say, Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet powerful in word and deed. And they say he was sentenced to death and crucified. They identify him as the redeemer of Israel. They say it's now the third day. They say the tomb is empty and the angels have declared that he is alive. And you can almost feel the smile of Jesus as they outline these key points of the gospel. They were surprised that Jesus hadn't heard what had happened. How could he not know what had been going on in Jerusalem? But it was these two who couldn't see the bigger picture. We can know the facts, but we need to meet him, the author of life, and the author of the story. Combine this with faith, otherwise it's meaningless. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. We're to know that our story fits into the bigger story of the gospel. Because God knows this, and Ultimately, it is his story. Verse 15 says, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. That's that phrase, Jesus himself. Jesus, the Son of God, would walk alongside them. Imagine Solanke or one of the other Bournemouth players joining in for a kickabout in the park. You'd, You'd tell everyone what an incredible story. But how much greater 
is it that the God of all creation will come alongside to walk with people like us? These two travelers were caught up in a storm. Their hopes were crushed. But there was one who was with them who could bring them through. James Edwards, commenting on this verse, said, Here living disciples talk about a dead Jesus, while a living Jesus speaks with lifeless disciples. It's a wonderful contrast, isn't it? As God speaks life into our situation. And there are times, if we're honest, we can feel lifeless. But we need to know that we have a living Jesus that speaks life to us. And he's bigger than anything that we are walking through. It's his story. We're to remember that God is alive even when we feel lifeless. And whatever our society may say, whatever pressures come from others, whatever doubts we may have, it is his story. He is active and he is at work. In the the Gospel of Mark, in in chapter 4, we come across a situation where Jesus and his disciples are in a boat and they're on the water and a storm comes up. First of all, the disciples are scared of the storm. They're worried of what might might happen. They might, might drown. But then Jesus rebukes the storm and it becomes calm. It's interesting to see that the progression that takes place here, the disciples were were scared before, but now they are terrified. Not of the storm outside of the boat that they may drown, but because of the one who's in the boat with them. They catch a glimpse of the awesome might and power of God. And there is a fear, there's a reverence. It was so helpful, wasn't it, in, in our worship to have that sense of God is holy and awesome. But when we know Jesus, there's a joy in that. But we are to see the awesome power of God. There's a right fear and a right reverence that we need to have. Because he is powerful, he is holy, he is other. He is not working to things to make our lives comfortable. He is at work so that all things might be to the praise of his glory. He is the center of the universe. He is the center of the story and not us. But he does choose to reveal himself as Emmanuel, as God with us. Because God's story is that he wants to walk with us. And that's the second part of the phrase I want us to to think about, is that he actually wants to walk with us. There's a real desire for him to be amongst us. Because walking at the time of Jesus was the primary mode of of transport. The way you get from place to place would be to walk now it's usually something we do for recreation. Um, and it's important when you ask someone to go for a walk, you need to have uh, your, an agreement on what kind of walk you're doing. Because some people walk for a task, and so they'll head off a breakneck speed. Um, and other people want to walk for maybe just kind of a, uh, appreciating the surroundings um, and uh, go much, much slower. Um, Early on in our relationship, um, we were at two ends of the spectrum, partly because of previous family experience, partly about personality. There was one of us who was very much at the task um, end of the spectrum. Let's get this walk done. Let's go as quickly as possible, and then we can go and do something else. Another one of us um, was more, well, let's just enjoy the moment. Let's enjoy being together, um, and we don't need to rush. I'll let you guess as to who was who um, in that end uh, of, of the spectrum. 
Um, we also have, have friends who say, if you want to go for a walk, you know that they are going to go for a walk and they'll be off in the distance, often a little speck in the distance while you're back here um, enjoying the walk and, and they've gone. So it's important when going for a walk that you understand, okay, what's our philosophy of walk as we are going? But God wants to walk with us. This is his delight. And there is both purpose for God's walking with us and he wants us to savor the journey as well because God wants relationship. This is the reason why he walked with these two travelers on the road. He spent hours with them to hear their heart, talking with them, being in relationship with them. And it's amazing to think that the risen Jesus did not spend time spinning around everywhere announcing his resurrection. He chose relationship with these two on the road. As God delights in us, the God who is sovereign over all things wants us to know him. And he wants us to know his delight in spending time with us. At their urging, Jesus stayed and they ate together. Verse 30, we see Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it out. And it was at that moment that everything clicked. They realized this is Jesus. Jesus has been walking with us. Because he'd done this before. Take the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it out. He'd done it at feeding the 5,000. He'd done it at the, the Last Supper. And now they see Jesus here, and he wants relationship with us. This is the reason why he walked this earth. As we've seen, we've seen this desire from the very beginning, beginning Genesis 1. God walks with his people in the cool of the day. Such a wonderful picture. God walking with his people in the cool of the day. A wonderful image of enjoying time together. But this is before we sinned, before we hid and, and ran away. Jesus came and, and walked on this earth. He chose to live the life that we could not live. To walk the path that we could not. The path of righteousness. The path to the cross. The path to take the punishment for our sins. And he did this so that our relationship could be restored, so that we could walk with God daily. But Jesus is also looking for a response. Verse 28, we see that Jesus looked as though he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly. Do we have that same sense that we urge strongly for a relationship with Jesus? Are we seeking this relationship or are we indifferent to God's initiative? Because God delights in us, but he also wants that desire and delight from us to him. And this begins with saying yes to Jesus. A decision to repent, to turn around and not walk in our own ways. Just like the lost son in, in Luke 15 who'd walked away from his father, spending his inheritance but later he came to his senses, he retraced his steps, he turned around and came back to the Father. God wants relationship. He wants us to turn to him. And also he wants us to, to slow down. Because walking enables us not to go too fast. I think part of our challenge is there's so many pressures on us in life that we just keep going too fast. One of the wonderful things about walking is it slows us down. But Jesus doesn't approach this situation how I would have done. Jesus isn't in a hurry to speak. I think if I, was, I were Jesus, I would have come up to the disciples 
and said, it's me. I'm alive. But Jesus walks with them, spends time with them. And it's only later on that he reveals who he is. Jesus models to us that we don't need to be in a rush. We don't need to be in a hurry. Jesus, when he lived on this earth, had a clear vision. He lived with intentionality. He had much to do, but you never get the sense that he was rushed. He always had time for the person in front of him. He was willing to be sidetracked. I find that a a real challenge to me. But God is also calling us to slow down, to remove distractions, to be focused on the importance of relationship. Slow down so that we can experience God in the normal rhythms of life. And this takes a conscious decision because there's pressure all around us to speed up, to attend to our phones pinging at us or the demands which so easily come in to our lives. God wants us to walk, to slow down. And God wants to be with us in the everyday moments of life because walking isn't glamorous. You don't normally have uh, people dreaming of being a world-class walker. You might think of a, a sprinter or a marathon runner, but no one generally says, I've never met anyone, said, I want to be a world-class walker. And that's what I want to be known for. Walking isn't glamorous, but it speaks of steadfast progress and not quick achievement. This is why walking is a great description of the Christian life. It denotes the day-in and day-out nature of, of praying, of being in God's Word, of living faithfully in community, and developing good and godly habits. As a church, we have three words that sum up uh, what we aim to do, adventure, purity, and compassion. And we love that sound of adventure, don't we? It sounds exciting. And it is. Being on mission with God is a huge provision, a huge excitement. It's the most amazing thing that we can do. And there are moments where we do step out in faith a decision to trust God in an out-of-the-ordinary way, making a big call that changes the direction of your life or going against the flow at work or giving sacrificially a gift day or choosing to join a church plant and moving your whole life. But much of what God calls us to do in our adventure with him is worked out in daily faithfulness. And this is our, our daily adventure of walking with him. There's progress, and it is often slow, but God is with us. Because Christianity isn't about a collection of ideas. It's not about getting our heads around a belief system. It's about walking with our Savior. He shows us the way. He guides us as we navigate life. Because this is how Jesus did life with his disciples. He walked with them along dirt roads. He slept in the places that they slept in, not checking into a five-star hotel away from them. And Jesus does the same today. He's alongside us in the daily joys and frustrations of life. He walks along with us, along those dirt roads. I just want to to focus in on that. The last aspect of that phrase is that he walks with us. God is the one who is alongside us. Jesus walks alongside these these two travelers, and for a significant portion of the story, they don't even know he is with them. Mark Buchanan, uh, again on this book on walking with God, says, Jesus keeps becoming present with us, even as we lament his absence. 
We may not recognize it at the time, but Jesus walks with us and he wants us to know his presence. You may be walking through real challenge right now and you could be saying those words, where is God? God, are you really with me? There's an encouragement here that is alongside us even when we don't feel it, even when we don't recognize him, he is there. Because he walks with us through the valley. Jesus wasn't quick to lift them out of their hopelessness. He walked with them in their pain and their desperation. And he drew them deeper into relationship with himself. And there are many times when we don't know what is going on, when we feel as though God may be absent, but he's walking with us. We see that this powerfully displayed in Daniel chapter 3. So Daniel had three friends who would not bow down to the image set up by King Nebuchadnezzar. And then they were thrown into the fiery furnace. The three were thrown into the fire, and the fire was so hot that it killed those that threw these three friends into it. And then we read this in Daniel 3, verse 25. King Nebuchadnezzar says, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. It's incredible, isn't it? There's fire so hot that it killed those who had thrown them in, and yet there were not three but four men walking around in the fire. Because God walks with us through the fire. God walks with us through the flood. We spend the beginning of this year looking at the Psalms and considering how God is our refuge and how we can know strength in times of challenge. What's our hope? Our hope is that God walks with us. He is present. He brings strength. He's with us when we don't understand. And in walking with God, we're able to take time to think, to pray, to process with him. St. Augustine had a brilliant phrase in Latin, solvitur ambulando. Anyone, have, anyone got Latin? Tell me what that says. Any? Some good, good, good mumbling in Latin. <laughs> Solvita ambulado, it is solved by walking. It, um, ah, yes, there we go. Um, and that's a, a really helpful phrase. It is solved by walking because God walks this journey with us. And as we walk it out, we're to be honest in our pain. Because in bad times, everything feels like bad news. Those two travelers lifting out, uh, listing out what had happened, saying that there's an empty tomb, saying it's now the third day. What is good news actually feels like bad news when we're in challenging times. But as God walks with us, he's alongside us even when we don't get the answer that we seek. Even as we're in the process of, of working it out, we walk with him. But the question is, will we continue to turn to him? even when it's tough, even when it's difficult, in our pain and confusion. This isn't easy, but he does equip us with everything that we need because we are called to walk in step with the Word and with the Spirit. Notice these um, wonderful uh, words in verse 32. The two travelers asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? There's real power in the word of God, to set our hearts on fire. And these spirit-inspired truths of scripture bring hope and life. 
And wouldn't you like to know exactly what Jesus said? What he, what he said when he was opening up those, those scriptures. We, we don't know entirely what he said, but um, R. Kent Hughes, while commenting, commenting on these verses, helps us. He says this, um, Jesus is the saviour prophesied on Mount Moriah, the atoning lamb of the Passover, our tabernacle and temple, for he is our sacrifice and priest, our manna, bread of heaven, the suffering servant who is numbered with the transgressions, the son who suffered separation from the father for us when he bore our sins. He delights to bring fire to cold hearts. It's a wonderful phrase. He delights to bring fire to cold hearts. And so as we walk in the word, if we're in a place of despair, we can turn to scripture because we need to have our, our faith based on the truth, not just experience. But we do need both. But we need to know that these promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. This is the, the fuel for a fire in our hearts. And we're to walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.25, keep in step with the Spirit. But the risen Jesus no longer walks the earth in the same tangible way. But we do know a God who wants to walk with us and to know his presence with us. And then we are to walk in unity. This is a, a community endeavor. We're not called to go alone. Jesus appeared to two disciples, and then when they realized who it was, they rushed back to Jerusalem to say, we have met Jesus. We're to walk in unity together. Solvitur ambulando. We walk it out, and we talk it out together. And then, finally, as I close, I want us to see that right at the very center of the way this account is structured is a vital truth. The second half of verse 23 is that an angel announcement that Jesus is alive. And this is our place of hope. This is our assurance that Jesus is alive. Encountering the risen Jesus meant that two disheartened travelers were transformed from bewildered disciples to emboldened witnesses. On this road, the risen Jesus walked with them as they progressed from an inability to recognize the facts before them to full acceptance of gospel truth. So how do we respond today? We're to know that God wants to walk with us. And we're to put our trust in the risen Jesus, the one who's defeated death and brings certain hope into our despair. And a few ways in particular, I believe God wants to be alongside this morning. You may be a long way off, like that prodigal, the lost son. This morning, there's an invitation to turn and walk to know the Father. You may feel that you are currently walking in the fire. This morning, I believe God wants to know you to know him walking with you. Or you may need to know the fire of God at work in your heart. This morning, our prayers that God will bring fresh power to you in that place. So God wants us to walk with him in surrender, in choosing to walk with him in his ways, with perseverance walking through these challenges and us knowing his presence, knowing him daily in every area of life. Let's respond in prayer. Can I invite you to stand? Lord, we do thank you for this incredible truth. We thank you, Lord, that you would choose to come and to walk with us. And God, we are 
astounded that the God who created the world will come into the world and draw us into a relationship with you. And so, Lord, in this place, place we pray that let us know your presence. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come as we look to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way. We thank you that we don't need to stand at a distance, to stand far off, but we can be those that walk closely with you in every moment, in every season of life. And Lord, I pray that you would bring our hearts to that place of surrender to you. Saying, Lord, won't you lead us on? Show us the way in which we are to walk. So God, we pray in this moment, when you do a work in our hearts, that we may respond to you and live lives to your glory, we pray. Come, Lord, we ask.